How are you today? Man, it's good to be with you. My wife, Molly, uh, sends her best to you today. Uh, she wasn't able to make it. We, we were in a speed delight and BGMC, um, BAM fundraising thing this week, all week. We were suffering on the beaches in North Carolina. Uh, it, was, it was horrible. There, it was, actually, the weather wasn't that great. I didn't even go on the beach. So, <laughs> But no, it, we, it was just awesome to see what God was doing. But we got in yesterday, and she, uh, I drove up here from St. Louis, and so she wasn't able to come. Our boys, uh, we have two sons, Logan and Grace. And last time we were here, our sons were probably one and three years old. Now they're, my oldest son's getting ready to graduate high school in a month, and, uh, and my youngest son's a sophomore in high school. So, but you know what, I would, well, there's, there we are. Um, but we'd like to just say thank you. You guys have been partners with us from the very beginning. And when you partner with, with missionaries and in missions the way you do, you are part of that blessing. You're part of reaching lost people. So we can't do it without that partnership, that consistent monthly partnership. We would not be there to be able to see the lives change if it wasn't for churches like you and individuals like you sacrificing, getting uncomfortable with what God is calling you to do to touch lives around this world. And, and I mean, I think it's harder for you sometimes than it is me because at least I get to see the results a lot of times. A lot of times you don't even get to hear about the results. You're just faithfully giving, praying, and, and, and knowing God is going to multiply that. that. Thank you for that so much. We appreciate that. I don't know if you've come here expecting God to do something today. You know, we should, we expect to have a good time a lot of other places. Why shouldn't we be expecting to have a good time and be challenged by God? You know, uh, and, and I, I don't know about you. This is how God works with me. God's never had to call me to do something I wanted to do. You know what I mean? Because I'm doing the things I want to do. God's always had to call me to do things that maybe I didn't want to do, didn't see to do, or thought I wasn't qualified to do. You know, and, 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 and that makes us uncomfortable. But I just, as I read the Bible and as I see things, God's call is typically uncomfortable. It takes us out of our comfort zones and, and it's pushing us to move further than we want to go most times. Are you willing to be uncomfortable to see the lost people of this world reach? Are you willing to be uncomfortable to see your neighbors, co-workers come to Jesus Christ? God's call is uncomfortable. You know, when God called us to Vietnam, so Vietnam's a, a country of about 100 million people. But it's only about the size of the state of New Mexico. So it's densely populated. I know Chicago, you're a little bit more crammed than a lot of places in America. But Vietnam is crowded. We're in a city of around 14 million people um, there in Ho Chi Minh City. And it's just crowded. And, and, in Viet and the Vietnamese are, I mean, literally, when I'm riding my motorbike, that's how we get around the city my elbow touches the person next to me. You know what I mean? Like we are packed in there at, at a stoplight. Everybody's just jammed up in there. I can reach over and touch them. They can touch me. You know what I mean? Like sweating and it's hot where we're at. But, you know, it was uncomfortable. People being right on you. Like, 
you know, here in America, we give a little bit of space. Even in Chicago, we give a little bit of space to the person in front of us, right? We, we like personal space. We're like, you know, depending on where you're from, it, it's, it, there's a difference. Like some places, it's like, I need you an arm's length away. COVID, we really are spacing out now. You know what I mean? We're like, I need you about three arm lengths away from me before you come up. But in Vietnam, no such thing as personal space. Bam, like right there on you. You're like, man, I, yeah, I, I smell what you got going on right there. You know what I mean? And I remember the first time I was in line at the, like a little grocery store, I gave my normal American space and this little old lady just cut right in front of me. I was like, what's going on here? And, and, and then other people started putting their stuff in front of me. I was like, what? I, I didn't even know how to check out. I was like, I, I'm trying, how do I get up there? Over time, I learned you had to be like right behind the person in front of you. You know what I mean? And like, boom, like, eh, they're because they're right up on you. Like I was at first like, why are you so close to me? I don't need you there. But over time, it was either like get comfortable with this or leave. Well, I got comfortable with it. I got so comfortable when I came back from Vietnam. We were in Chicago O'Hare Airport, 20 plus hours flying. And the, and the person in front of me, this, he was American now. Because, you know, when you come into immigration, it's the foreigner's line and the American line. And, you know, I was like, I'm American. I'm going in my line. And I got in my line. And, and the guy in front of me, now he's taller than me. In Asia, usually I can look over the heads. But, but he's taller than me. And I, I'm like, bam, right behind him, breathing on his neck. And this guy tensed up. He was like this, and he shuffled, and I shuffled, because no one was going to cut me today. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, no, no one's cutting me. And, and, I, and I did that two or three times, and my wife finally noticed what was going on. She tapped me on the shoulder and said, Grant, we're in America. I was like, what? Oh, and I backed up. That guy was like, "Woo, relieved, you know. He's like, I don't got to spend the next hour with this guy breathing down my neck. But God's call will make us uncomfortable. Are we willing to be uncomfortable to see people come to Jesus Christ? Are we willing to do whatever it takes so that lives are changed, people's lives are changed? In 1 Corinthians 9.22, it says this. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. Have we become all things to all people? Are we using all means to reach the lost? Or are we just content with the few ways that we have and we expect everybody to respond the same way we did? Are we using all means? Like in Vietnam, it's a communist country. We're not allowed to be there as missionaries. So we have to be creative in the way that we get into these, these countries that are closed off. You know, if we're going to reach the never reach, we're going to have to do something different. We're going to have to take the gospel to them in new ways. We do that through a coffee shop in Ho Chi Minh City um, it, it is where we're at. And that coffee shop is all about building relationships with lost people. So it looks like a normal coffee shop on the, on the ground floor. And then upstairs, we have two speaking rooms where the Vietnamese and now many other nationalities will come in to practice their English with one of our team members. We don't teach English. We just hang. I said, I got the best job in the world. I get to hang out, drink coffee, and talk to people. I mean, that's what we do. And, and because we, we, were, we decided to do something unconventional, think this is what's happened. Over the last 15 years, 
over 40,000 Vietnamese that had never heard about Jesus Christ ever in their life, didn't know what a Bible was, now have heard the presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. By being in relationship, by being close, we've been able to see lives changed. Over 175 people have been discipled and now are reproducing in Vietnam. Five of people that came into our coffee shop to learn English, to improve their English, now are in full-time ministry. Two of them are missionaries around in this world, reaching out to lost people. That's how when, when we think outside the box and when we, when we are uncomfortable with God's call and we're willing to press into that uncomfortable spot, God can use us and change lives. You know, I, if you don't hear anything else, this is my, my honest belief. We have, we have core values in our ministry. We say everybody, we believe in being in relationship with lost people. We believe that when you're in those relationships, you need to tell them the truth of Jesus Christ. You know, there's a misconception. If I just act Christian, if I'm just a Christian and I'm around people, or if I just have a Christian business, people are going to get saved. I said, I said, if that's the case, Chick-fil-A should be getting a lot of people saved. You know what I mean? It's a Christian-owned business. A lot, a lot of people go in there, but I don't see too many salvations happening in Chick-fil-A. But we need to tell the truth of Jesus Christ to, to lost people. And we need to be people of the Spirit. We need to be led by the Spirit. You know, I believe that every believer should be in a relationship with a lost person. I mean, a significant relationship where you're doing life with them, where they're coming into your house, you're going into their house. You, you're, they, they are getting to know who you are. And that's really the heart of our ministry. We, we connect at the coffee shop and then we get into relationship with, the, with our customers who come in. One, one young man that came in was Mr. Bunn. And uh, he, was, he was a character. You know what I mean? Like he was a little bit inappropriate, said some, he, he was lost. You know, I expect lost people to act lost. You know what I mean? I, it doesn't surprise me. But sometimes some of my coworkers, it was surprising to him some of the things he would say. I said, don't worry about it. I said, let's just love him. Let's, let's let him, uh, let's just share the truth with him. But let's, we'll guide him. We'll help him not to say some of the things he's saying. And, you know, as he was there, brilliant guy. He was, uh, um, he was, he's half Chinese, half Vietnamese, so he knows both languages, Cantonese and, and Vietnamese. He taught himself uh, Japanese and became, he was, at the time he started coming into our coffee shop, he was a Japanese interpreter for businesses. He was teaching himself English, that's how he found our coffee shop and just came in and started practicing. Just so, a gifted guy, not formally educated, you know what I mean, just, I mean, he went to high school, but that was all. Just a brilliant, brilliant linguistic guy. And just great, great guy. But, you know, he was a little off, but we could tell as, you know, we correct, say, hey, man, you know, you might not want to use that language or, you know, you might not want to say that. That's inappropriate. He started to change, you know, and as he hung around us more and more, and I mean, he spent a lot of time in our coffee shop. His attitude started to change. I mean, he could witness for me. He was there enough. He wasn't a Christian, but he could witness for me. He could tell you the answers. But he, he found out about one of our discipleship classes. And he said, hey, Grant, can I come to your, your class? I hear you have. I said, yeah, come on. And man, he would ask great questions. And, and, and we just would walk with him and, and go with him in this relationship. And then he found out about our church because our church, we can't just invite. It's illegal. We can't just invite anybody there. We had to kind of vet people. And that's why we, we use discipleship to get them into the church. Because he also, one of the reasons is when you have no context of the church, the church, the 
when you, we hear stories that you don't understand, it's hard. So we want to give them a background. We want to give them a, a good, comfortable place where they can ask questions. But he, he heard about the church and he wanted to come and we said, yeah, sure, come on. And he just, you know, he was there. He was, he was hungry for the truth. He was eager to learn all about Jesus. I mean, he was more consistent than a lot of our Christians were. You know what I mean? I mean, he was there every Sunday. And um, time goes by and, uh, and he still hasn't accepted Jesus Christ, but we just keep on loving. We go through a lot of hard things. His father passed away from cancer. We walked with him through that. And, you know, just a lot of things were happening in his life, decisions and everything. And we just kept on loving on him and, and just being with him and, and just always bringing him in, no matter what he did. And then he opened up a business and uh, he, you know, was, we were talking about it for a while as a, as a restaurant. So he's asking me a lot of questions and over time, you know, then he opened it up and I hadn't been to the restaurant. And he gave, gives me a call this one day. He said, Hey Grant, can you come over and, and see my restaurant? I was like, yeah. I said, man, I'm sorry. I haven't been there. It'd been about a month. It'd been open. I said, I'll me and a, a friend of mine that was in town was, uh, I said, we'll come over and see it. And we came over and he wanted to show, he showed us the restaurant. And he said, you know what? The real reason I, I brought you over wasn't to see my restaurant. Because I want you to know that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ now. Do you know how long that took? Eight years. Are you willing to invest in someone for eight years? Are you willing to invest in someone's life, whether they come to Christ or they don't? Because when we go in with agendas, people sense it. When we go in just loving people, where they're at, they sense that too. And they'll know you're genuine and they'll want to figure you out. So we know we need to be in, in relationship with lost people. But we, when we're in those relationships, we have to share the truth of Jesus Christ. We cannot be in relationships with, with people and not share the truth. We can't be in relationships with Christians and not share the truth with them too. Sometimes they need to hear the truth. Sometimes we, we step out of bounds and someone needs to correct us. We need to hear the truth of Jesus Christ. You know, another young lady, she's a typical customer of ours. She was a college student wanting to improve her English. Most people are doing it to earn more money. That's why they're coming. Because if, you, if your English is better, the better job you can get, the better company you can work for. You know, so that's, that's why they're coming into our coffee shop. And we've been now, after 14, 15 years, we're the number one place in Vietnam to practice your English. So, but uh, Fung came in, typical student. You know, she's trying, you know, improving her English. And uh, she hears about the truth of Jesus Christ. And that truth just quickly attracts her and she's just around more and more she's talking with with our missionary team there she's talking with some of our staff that is saved and 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 it's like a whole team just ministering to this young lady and after some time she gives her heart to Christ but God is moving in such a way in her life that she's just, she just wanting to share this new love of Jesus Christ with people. She goes back to her hometown, never has the gospel ever been preached. She goes back, starts sharing Jesus Christ with the people in her village. But she gets a call of God. She comes back to us. She goes, I, I feel like God's calling me to be a missionary. And she says, how do I do that? I said, honestly, how, 
we don't know. We don't know how you get from Vietnam to the mission field. We, we'd never experienced this, but we said, well, we'll, we'll help. We'll work out. We'll see what we can do. Well, she's a go-getter. She, uh, she ends up getting a, a scholarship to go to Christ for the Nations uh, a University down in Texas. And she ends up going to school there. She, and then ends up tra- uh, finishing there and transferring to Moody Bible College to get her master's. During this time, she ends up meeting her husband, Tyler. And, and Tyler and Fung are both have a heart for missions and are called to, to missions. And then, you know what? God just moves in them in a miraculous way and and. They're, they're from Illinois. They're one of our own missionaries. Maybe you guys support them, okay. But they're, about three weeks ago, they went to Cairo, Egypt to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Think about this. A young lost girl walks into a coffee shop in Ho Chi Minh City, a city of 14 million people, and that's the coffee shop that can tell her the truth of Jesus Christ. And now she's walking the streets of Cairo, Egypt. And, and coming in contact with lost Muslim people to be able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with lost people. That's how our God works. That's how when, when we all work together, when we all partner together, the world has changed. Lives are changed. Uh, families are changed. Fung was, her, her brother has come to Christ. He, he's ministering. He's actually gonna, he's in the process of trying to start a Vietnamese church plant here in Chicago area. Him and his, him and his wife, they were both saved in our ministry. The younger sister was saved too, and she's, she's in um, ministry training. But think how that has changed the trajectory of a family, the generations to come. So when babies, like uh, her, her brother, Jung and um, Dao, when they have a baby, it's going from a generation that never heard anything about Jesus to the next generation being born into a Christian family. That's what happens when we share the truth. We can't shy away from the truth. The truth changes lives. But we need to be people of the spirit too. Not only are we in relationship with lost people, not only are we telling them the truth, we need to be led by the Holy Spirit. You know, let me, let me help you out here. A lot of times I, I hear this. Christians will say, you know what? I felt like I should go over there and pray for that person there. They, you know, they were, you see a need or I should have done this or that. But I just wasn't sure. Let me tell you, Satan's never asked me to go pray in the name of Jesus for anybody. You know, I can guarantee you if, 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 they're at, if you're at being prompted by the Holy Spirit to go over and pray for someone that they will be healed in the name of Jesus, that is, that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. You don't have to go home and pray about it. You don't have to wait and miss the opportunity that is sitting right in front of you. Respond to the Holy Spirit. We need to be quick in our responses to the Holy Spirit. You know, I was uh, sitting uh, having coffee with some uh, other guys that I know. We, we try to meet up once a week and pray for one another. And uh, this one morning we had shared, and then this, one of my friends had shared this prayer request. He said, hey guys, I, I really need you to pray. He said, there's uh, this baby that needs your help. He said, there was this mother who lives in the central part of the country. The central is more rural and, and, and less uh, developed in, in our country. And um, this mom is a school teacher. But she teaches about 20 miles up in the mountains in this village. Uh, one, she's the only teacher for all the kids in the village. And she rides her motorbike up this 20 miles each way, up and back every day. And she was about six months pregnant 
one day when she was driving up and she went into labor. She ended up giving birth to baby Wah on the side of the road by herself. Someone eventually came by, they found her, they got her down to the, the hospital. And, and, and when I say hospitals, that's very loose terms where, where they are. Um, you, you, would, you would not go in that hospital. You'd be like, you're not doing anything to me in this place. You know what I mean? Like, it is open air, dirty. You know what I mean? Like, just, but they did have an, a baby incubator there. So they put baby Juan in that incubator because her lungs were not developed. And they set the oxygen levels at a level that was great for the lungs, but it was very bad for her developing eyes. And so her retinas had uh, detached. So she grew, she got healthy, and after a couple months, she was able to go home. But the doctor said, you know, she's going to be healthy and everything else is good, but she's going to be blind. And the dad was, parents were just desperate. They said, is there anything you can do for, my, for our baby? They were like, there's nothing we can do. You know, the, I don't think there's anything that can be done. So out of their desperation, they flew to the capital city, Hanoi, and um, went to the children's hospital, went to the eye hospital. I mean, had to borrow money to be able to do this trip. And the, the doctors there said, no, there's nothing we can do. And, and they were just desperate. Could you imagine, you know what I mean? Just that desperation for your baby. And then they flew to the southern city where we're at and went to the doctors there and they said, there's nothing you can do. And they ended up going back home and the father was coming out of the hospital in, in their hometown. And next to their hospital in their hometown is an old Catholic church. And he, and he went into that Catholic church and he cried out to a God he did not know. He said, if there's really a God out there, would you help my baby girl? And as he was walking out of that church, he got a Facebook message because Facebook is everywhere, people. <laughs> and it said, hey, there's this Dutch doctor in Ho Chi Minh City that I think can help your daughter. You need to, to get a hold of them. Well, they were desperate. They were like, this was hope for them. They got on a bus and drove the 12 hours down to Ho Chi Minh City. And on, on Wednesday morning, they just showed up at the doctor's office. No appointment, you know what I mean? Desperate, just, you know what I mean? Need, something needs to be done for my, my family. And they got there and the receptionist is like, hey, do you guys have an appointment? They're like, no, we don't have an appointment, but this is my daughter. She needs to see the doctor. They're like, well, you gotta have an appointment. It causes kind of a commotion. The doctor can hear it. He comes out between patients and says, what's going on? And they explain what's going on and he sees the desperation on their face and he says, okay, I'll fit them in. Just have them hang out. We'll fit them in today and, 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 and I'll check the baby's eyes. Eventually he gets to, to baby Hua and he looks in her eyes and he says, I think I can help her, but she's gonna have to have surgery by Friday. And the surgery is going to be $9,000. This family makes about $300 a month. You know? And they just, they don't have the money. They've already gone in debt, traveling around, trying to get the care and paying for the doctor visits they've already done. And that's when the Holy Spirit spoke to me as that guy was telling that story and said, pay for the surgery. I stopped him right there. I said, I guarantee the money for the surgery. I said, call him. Because this is Friday morning. I didn't have time to go home, pray about it, think, you know what I mean? Baby Wah did not have that choice that day. I said, I guarantee the money. He's like, what? You serious? I said, yeah, call him up. Let's get, let, let's, we don't have time for this. It's like seven o'clock in the morning. And so Baby Wah was able to get, 
be able to get that surgery. Now, I didn't have the money. And I have some wisdom, so I didn't go home and tell Molly right away what I did. You know, I waited a couple days. And then I told her, I think I did it after service. It was a good service, so I was like, this is a good time to tell, you know, what happened. And uh, I told her, and she's like, that's great. I'm glad we're doing this. You better make some phone calls. You know, you better find the money. It's it's right before Christmas, too. I'm like, oh, this is a horrible time to be asking for 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 money and uh you know i was just i kind of just sat on it i you know for for about a week and a half and i earlier that month in early december i had uh, some pastor friends that came in and saw the ministry and everything and one of those pastors emailed me the day before christmas he said man i don't know what's going on uh we love what your ministry's doing and i don't know how you would use this he said but uh, our board and our church just want to bless you. Here's $10,000 to use for whatever you want. I emailed them back and uh, just shared with them what, what had just happened and what, what we were going to use that money for. He emailed me back and said, hey, I spoke with my board. They want to give another $10,000 just to continue to be able to help out with uh, baby Wah and her, her health care. You know, when we respond to the Holy Spirit, God moves. God moves in ways. Baby walk and she, her, she doesn't have great, the best vision, but she can see. She can see light. She can walk around and everything. And, but the beautiful thing that's come out of it is we've come into relationship with this family. Her, you know, we've had them in. We, we see them all the time when they come down for medical treatments. And we've invited them into our house. And they, we take care of them. We house them. We feed them. We pay for their transportation. You know, we've taken them on as a church, our, our home church, as just like we're going we're gonna to see you through this process. We're going to make sure she gets educated. She can go to the right school so that, that she can learn to read Braille and all of those things. We just say, hey, but because of that relationship, her father's given his heart to Christ. Communist Party member, given his heart to Jesus because, because a coffee shop, people were in the right proximity to be able to reach out and, and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit to be able to help his baby girl. It opened his heart to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what happens when we get uncomfortable, lives are changed. You know, one, one time, they, they show up to Ho Chi Minh City like they show up to that doctor's office. No announcement, you know what I mean? They never let us know. It's like, I'm here. You're like, you had 12 hours on the bus. You could have you texted us, and we could have, it, never. It's like, we're here at the bus station right now. Can, how can we? And one time, they showed up like that. I was on one part of the city. Molly was in another part of the city. They were in one. And I said, Molly's like, what are we going to do? Where should we meet them at? And I said, well, let's meet up, they'll know this location because it's a, a, I said the big post office there. And I said, and there's a McDonald's next. McDonald's was pretty new at that time. I said, there, and I was like, we hadn't even been to McDonald's yet. I was like, I, we kind of felt bad. Molly's like, you serious? You want to have us meet at McDonald's? I was like, I don't know. You know, just that's the easiest place to get to right now. And so we did, and we got, in, we got there, we, their family showed up. I took the wife and the, the two girls, she has a baby wife, has an older sister, over to find a seat. And Molly is standing in line with uh, um, baby wife's dad, and he starts to cry. 
And Molly's thinking, oh my goodness, I didn't think it would be this offensive to be Ann McDonald's. But she's like, well, sorry. she goes, hey, hey, is this, what's wrong? We can, we can go somewhere else. You know, we don't, we don't have to eat here. And he's like, no, no. He said, I've always dreamed of bringing my family to a place this nice. Now we're like, every time they come in town, you guys want to go to Burger King, uh, uh, McDonald's, uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken. It doesn't matter. We'll, we'll go to any of those places. We take, a, we take a, the girls to the, they, they got this mall, they got this play area. We, we just let them go there. And actually, it's kind of funny because we'll take them over. We think the parents are going to hang out with us. They're playing in the play area too. It's just the whole thing. Because it's just, from where they come from, it's just totally different in the city. But when we respond to the Holy Spirit, lives are changed. So the, the, the things we do is, our, our heart is being in proximity to lost people. We'll use any tool. The coffee shop is just a tool. Frisbee is a tool to, to develop relationships. I'll close with this story. Um, it was a normal morning at our coffee shop. Molly was in the speaking rooms just... Uh, you know, she was there talking. There's about 10 other uh, customers in there, up there in the room talking with her when this young man comes in. It's his very first time. And, and when someone comes in for the very first time, we, you know, we just say, hey, where you, what's your name? Where are you from? You know, just normal things that are asked within the culture. And his name's Lynn. And uh, Lynn uh, is uh, a young man. And just, you know, he starts sharing about how he just graduated university and uh, got a new job, and, you know, things were looking good in his life. And, you know, conversation's going on. He's involved, in it. and he said this. He said, you know what? I've never been to this coffee shop before, never heard of this coffee shop before. He said, but while I was riding my motorbike, something inside me told me to come inside here. And we, Molly kind of just smiled because we know what that something is. And when we start hearing stuff like that, we're like, okay, God, what are you going to do today? You know, you imagine that. Think about this. There's probably 30,000 coffee shops in my city. And that morning, he arrived there. And they're sitting there talking, and just conversation goes on, and it comes to a lull at one point in the morning, later in the morning. And he says this. He says, I'm going to kill myself. We've never had anything like this happen in, our, in the shop. And uh, Molly, everybody was taken aback, and you know, the room got quiet. And Molly just said a quick prayer, just said, Holy Spirit, guide me, help me here. And she said, why would you want to do that? She said, you've just been telling us how you've graduated university, everything's going good, you know, you got a job, why would you want to end your life? You got your whole life ahead of you. And it was over a broken relationship, his fiance had broken it off with him, and he just felt, he just was, didn't want to live. And so Molly just said, what about your parents? How, what, what's going to happen to them? How are they going to feel? He said, oh, they're going to be devastated. He said, I'm, I'm the only and oldest son. And in the culture, that's huge. He said, and th their life is, yeah, it's, it's going to bring shame on them. It's, you know what I mean? This is not going to be good for them. And hey, she goes, do you have siblings? She goes, he said, I got three younger sisters. She goes, what about them? He goes, oh, their lives are going to be totally different. He goes, the, ex the expectation for him was to put all of his sisters through university, house them, take care of them as they were doing that. He goes, I don't know how they're going to do it now. 
And, uh, you know, so Molly's just engaging. About that time is about the time I come in. I don't know anything's going on. It's our normal shift change time in the coffee shop. And I come in and I'm like, hey, everybody, how's everybody doing? You know, just inter- you know, just talking to people. And everybody's looking at me. I'm like, whoa, something's going on here. You know what I mean? Like, I, I have no idea. So I sit down and Molly's trying to tell me. But you, you saw in the video how everybody sits around more or less in a circle. It's kind of hard to tell a secret in the middle of a circle. You know what I mean? Like, hey, this is what's going on. But Molly gets ready to get up and she, to go out. And she looks at Lynn and said, hey, would you come out in the hall with me? And he goes out in the hall with her. And she said, can I get your phone number? So I can, he's like, no. He says, you can't change my mind. He said, I've already written out the letters to everybody that I need to write a letter out to. He goes, I know where I'm going to do it. I know how I'm going to do it. There's nothing you can do to change my mind. And so Molly just said, can I pray for you? And he said, yeah. So she just laid her hands on his shoulder and just prayed that the Holy Spirit would come into his life and invade it and change his mind. So she goes downstairs, he comes back in for a couple minutes, and then he leaves. She ends up telling me what, what, what was going on, and then uh, we tell our team to be looking out for Lynn and praying, you know, and we're praying for him, but months go by, we, we never see him. And then happened to be this day, me and my family, my, uh, we're moving apartments, so we're moving from one apartment to another. I don't know about you, if you're newly married, um, one of the best things you can do for your marriage is make a move together. Like moving's got to be one of the best things you can do. Like it just draws people together. You know what I mean? Like it's fun, right? Molly always says, I love to move. I said, I wish you would show it while we move. You know what I mean? Like there's, I mean, I hate moving. <laughs> but so, so I'm just telling you, it's just trying to give you some context here. You know what I mean? Like me and Molly are just ready to share Jesus Christ this day. It's a Saturday. It's hot. It's humid. We're mid, you know what I mean? I probably hurt my back moving something. You know what I mean? Like it, it's just, it's just not, not the day you, you want. So my, we're going from the old apartment over to the new apartment. And Molly says, hey, I got to get something at the coffee shop. So we pull in and we run in to, she's getting whatever she needed to. I ran upstairs. And as I go upstairs where I was going, there's the speaking rooms up there. So I looked in, it's Saturday, it's our busiest day. We're always packed out over the whole coffee shop. It's just busy. And I look in that first room, there's 20 plus uh, customers in there with our missionary team member. And then when I walk down to that second room, I look through that door, I see Lynn. I open the door, he smiles at me, I said, it's good to see you. You know, everybody else is probably like, why is it good to see him, not good to see us? Because no one else knows what's going on in that room right there at that time. I shut the door and I go downstairs. Remember, Molly's in there just ready to share the love of Jesus Christ when I tell her, I say, hey, there's someone upstairs that needs to see you. And she said, who is it? I said, don't worry about it, just go on upstairs. She goes, I don't got time for this today, Grant. (laughs) She loves to move. Um, and I said, don't worry about it. just going upstairs. And she, she's back and forth a couple times. Finally, she just goes upstairs. Like she's sick of messing with me. And, uh, she looks in that first room and she's, you know, she's like, there's no one. It's nice. It's busy and everything, but there's, there's no one I need to see. As she walks down to the second room, she sees Lynn. She opens the door. Lynn gets up and he runs to her. He hugs her. He says this, he says, I'm alive today because of you. Molly was the right person at the right time to be able to speak into that young man's life. 
and to, to, to be able to be there to pray with him that the Holy Spirit would change his mind. This is what I believe happened that morning. As Lynn was on that motorbike riding, God asked someone to be uncomfortable. He said, would you, would you get on your knees and pray? There's someone's life that's in the balance. Somewhere in the world, someone was praying for someone that they would never meet. And because they were obedient to God, God called Lynn into that coffee shop. The coffee shop, a, a, a place that people could hear the truth of who Jesus Christ is. And because churches like you have been praying and sacrificing for years and years, giving to our ministry, Molly was there, the right person at the right time. And because Molly said yes to the call of God 15 years before, she was there to respond. God's challenging us today. He's asking you. The number he might be giving you might make you uncomfortable. Are you willing to be uncomfortable to see people come to Jesus Christ? Are you, you know, he might be asking you to pray more. And that makes you uncomfortable. You're like, I'm going to, you might have to give up something else. You might have to sacrifice time somewhere else to be able to be that person that prays for a person like Lynn so that he comes to Christ. And you might be sitting there and God might be calling you. And you've tried to disqualify yourself so many way, in so many ways, saying, well, I'm not, I'm not a preacher. I'm not this, I'm not that. But God's calling you to go, go overseas. Are you willing to be obedient to whatever God is calling you to do so that the gospel of Jesus Christ, this gift that you have, that the world needs, are you willing to be uncomfortable so that people can hear that gift? I just want to say thank you for everything you've done for us. But don't stop where you're at.